please join me if you have a Bible with you. Please join me in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, I will read verses 1 through 9. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. This letter, and the reason I believe the Holy Spirit directed me here, it is a beautiful expression of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Christmas really supposed to be about? There, are so, there is so much beautiful illustrations that meet our eyes that are wonderful, that are worthy, that teach us a lot, and there are beautiful Imagery, imageries that we put with Christmas that have absolutely nothing to do with the coming of our Lord Jesus. And it's so easy to be distracted. And this passage draws us back. Just as when the angels spoke to the shepherds and the shepherds went to the stable and saw the one who had been born and worshipped him. And two years later, the Magi came to the house in Bethlehem and presented the gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh and worshipped the little child. We are to worship and be focused upon the person of Jesus, who he is and what he did. Who is he? As we look at this book, we need to understand as we examine it, who are these people receiving this message? Now, I'm going to mess with some of you because some of you have a, a Bible that says the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. I'm sorry. That was added 
centuries, centuries, centuries. This isn't by Paul. It's by Paul's companion in ministry. And this is a statement from the early, 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 early church. It's written by Barnabas. That's why so much of it sounds like Paul. And yet it, some of it, the, the language and the forms of expression are not like Paul. But it sounds like Paul. And yet why? Because they served side by side in ministry for years. You would expect them to echo one another in their presentation. But who is writing this? Barnabas, the companion of Paul in ministry, is Barnabas. You'll remember that Paul and Barnabas separated over the issue of the nephew of Barnabas, whether he would continue, Mark, the gospel writer, will he continue in ministry? And they separated their ministries. Paul went to Greece. They were in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and they said Paul went to Greece. He went to southern Europe. Well, what direction did Paul have left? Did Barnabas have left? Paul went to Crete. Or excuse me, Barnabas went to Crete and then on to North Africa. And he ministered in North Africa and found there ministries that had already been started. And he started more ministries. And now as he writes this letter, as we find out at the close, he's actually writing from Italy back to a church in North Africa. It is a church especially mostly of Jews who had come to faith in Christ and they have paid a giant price. They have been persecuted. They have lost sources of income. They have paid a giant price. And frankly, their hands are hanging down. They're becoming weak in the, we weak in the knees and they're just burdened and burdened. And this letter is meant to encourage them and strengthen them. And they are being tempted to step away from a clear, vital, public testimony on behalf of God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, and move over and joining a Jewish cult. Not even normal, regular old Judaism. No, there is a cult there that is elevating that experience of Israel in the wilderness. Oh, you know, that was the time in Israel's history when they were really in vital touch with God. We won't talk about God killing a bunch of them because they worship bulls and calves. No, we, we, won't, we won't talk about the rebellion and, and why they spent 40 years in the wilderness instead of just two years. And did. No, oh, that was the golden age of Israel. And, we, and they're being tempted to pull into this. Why? Because they're tired of the persecution. It's not necessarily that they really are attracted by that message. It's really the persecution has become so heavy and persistent and they have paid a price and this letter is designed to encourage them and remind them of the vitality and the power and the treasure of the gospel message that they had earlier welcomed and that's why this begins with these what these words God who at various times and various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets. Did God speak to the fathers by Moses? Yes, absolutely. Elijah? Absolutely. Jeremiah? Isaiah? All of the all these wonderful prophets, God spoke to them. There is in, in no way do I want to diminish the value of what God spoke to our fathers through those messengers. 
But let's look at reality, readers. He has in these last days spoken to us by Son. Mark, you left a word out. He has in these days spoken to us by His Son. Well, I want you to notice in your Bible, the word His is in italics, meaning it was inserted by the translators to make a smoother translation so it would strike our ears more comfortably by His Son. I want to tell you that that strikes our ears oddly whether you're reading it in English or Greek or Latin or whatever. What did he really say? He has in these last days spoken to us by Son. Anything wrong with the prophets? No, nothing wrong with the prophets. They were God's messengers. They did a vital ministry. But now he is, he is, God has elevated the message by elevating giving it to us through a, a messenger head and shoulders and more than that above the prophets everything the prophets said Jesus said would be fulfilled right down to the smallest Hebrew letter the yod and the tittle the little smallest part of the letter but he who has seen me has seen the father no prophet would have ever dared say such a thing he who has seen me has seen the prophet. Excuse me, seen the father. Every word that I speak to you is truth. Which of you, my accusers, which of you Jewish leaders can accuse me of sin? Name one sin. They took him just as we saw at the close of Matthew's gospel. The Jewish leaders couldn't even contrive <laughs> a false accusation that wouldn't fall apart. Judas Iscariot hanged himself because the blood of this innocent man is on me. The wife of Pontius Pilate said, Hubby, husband, don't have anything to do with this just man. I've been tormented in dreams because of this just man. And Pilate himself says to the multitude, I'm washing my hands of the guilt of the judgment of this just man. No prophet would have erred claim such perfection for himself. Jesus did so openly. He has spoken to us by son. He has elevated the messenger in the case of Jesus. And so you, my reader, right here in these first two verses of his letter, what's he saying? We ought to rightly regard what God did through those prophets. We have nothing to complain about with those men or the, the message that came through them. But let me tell you something. God really elevated when he sent us his son. He said, he spoke spoken to us by Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Every the entire creation, upon the event of Jesus' resurrection and ascension, came into the hands of the Son. He said to the apostles in Matthew twenty eight, All authority, all power 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He had done everything the Father called upon him to do, and he earned the right. That's why he's called the only begotten Son. That means he's the heir of all things. He's the only heir of all things, and he stepped into that inheritance upon the event of his resurrection and ascension. He, he has been appointed heir of all things through whom also he, God, made the world. Who is the creator? Who is the creative agent of the Godhead? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. What, what's that other book of the Bible that begins with those three words? Genesis. In the beginning. And if you read Genesis chapter 1, what happens? God steps out and he speaks 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 and he fixes and he fixes. His, by his speech he fixes. By his speech he fixes. By his, he said, speaks and it's done. He speaks and it's done. In the beginning was the speaker. And the speaker was with God in a face-to-face relationship with God. And God, lit in the word order of the Greek text, and God was the speaker. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory glory is the only begotten of the father and earlier there it says and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made God the son was the creative agent of the Godhead and he has inherited all things through him also he God the father through him Christ God the son He, God the Father, made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Anything you can say about God the Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is God the Father and me, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we are all the God of Abraham. Anything you can say of God the Father about his essential nature, you can say about me. You wonder why his enemies were grinding their teeth and yet inevitably ran away with their tail between their legs because they could not refute what he said and did. How many hundreds of miracles did Jesus do in front of these people? All the evidence that he was telling the truth was there. Through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The bright, you want to, if you're John Doe standing down here on planet Earth, say, Lord, I want to see your glory in its brightest form. Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, become flesh. He is the brightness of the glory of God and the express image of his person. You want to know what God is like? Look at me. And Jesus so boldly said, as I've already quoted it, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, and I don't remember who, I remember it was Bill Bright that quoted this other fellow. (laughs) Either Jesus Christ 
is who he says he is or he is the most insane man ever to walk the planet. The difference is Jesus proved himself. He proved himself. He proved himself. Those words coming from the mouth of anyone else would hurt our ears. But they don't coming out of Jesus' mouth because he proved the reality of what he said before he said it. Being, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power. A question. What holds the creation together? Why in the world does this creation not fly apart? If you ask any astrophysicist, just what is it? I mean, we use words like gravity, and they use expressions. Oh, well, that's this law of this, the law of this. Well, who passed that law? And who enforces it? <laughs> what they are describing as this, that, and the other law holding the universe together is simply their descriptions of God's persistent, God the Son's persistent holding of the creation together and you say how can God even God hold this it says in Isaiah he holds the creation in the span of his hand he hold, he keeps it from flying apart and we express that with these so-called physical laws but all we're doing is when we say the word law, we're talking about his persistence and consistency in doing his assigned task, self-assigned task. By him, all things are held together. They're held together by the word of his power. When he, Jesus, God the Son, had by himself purged our sins. What was the greatest accomplishment ever of God the Son? He pressed through the terror. He pressed through the pain of going to the cross and paying sin's penalty for us. He did for us what we could not possibly do for ourselves. He purged us of our sins. And so we can walk up to the holy God and say, may I please have the benefit of what your son accomplished for me on the cross? And he gladly says, you sure may. Yes, you may. Yes, you may. Yes, you may. 100% of the time. Yes, you may. You may. He purged our sins. And when he did, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He stepped into the place of power of authority. <coughs> Having become so much better than the angels. Why is he emphasizing the, this angel? Because this cult that is attracting these readers actually has elevated angels as something that they ought to really give attention to and worship to and Barnabas is saying stop it 
having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. By the way, the very first rebellion this creation ever witnessed was not the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. No, it preceded that by quite a bit of time. It was the rebellion led by Lucifer, the prime minister of, of the, all the angels. He rose in rebellion. This is in Ezekiel. He rose in rebellion against God. And we know from Revelation 12, one-third of the angels joined him in his rebellion. And why? what did Lucifer want? What did those They wanted worship. They wanted the worship that was going to God. They wanted it for themselves. And what is it that is being elevated by this cult? Oh, we need to be giving our appreciation to, secret way of saying, worshiping the angels as well. But to which of the angels did he ever say, but Jesus has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He is worthy of worship. They are not. He was worthy of worship before his coming. He is worthy of worship now with even more of a motivation on our part because he is our savior. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, meaning I brought you in, not birthed you, I brought you into the fullness of your inheritance. That's a quote from Psalm 2 verse 7, written a thousand years before Jesus' birth. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Second Samuel 7.14 Again, written a thousand years before Jesus' birth. He will be, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, the again is the second coming. You read Deuteronomy 32, let all the angels of God worship him. You read Deuteronomy 32, it's talking about the second coming of Christ, not the first coming. And what does it say? Let all the angels of God worship him. You don't worship the angels, you worship him. And all those angels that spoke and sang to the shepherds, not, they were not seeking worship for themselves. They were telling the shepherds to go to Bethlehem and worship the Son of God. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, this is his second coming, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Compared to God the Son, what are angels? They're spirits, they're flames. Oh, they're, they're here, they're there, they're there. They're servants, they're, they're just spirits. They're like the flame on the top of your candle. And <laughs> By comparison to him, they're ethereal. Ethereal creatures. I think that's the right word. <laughs> it's like they're made out of air. That all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, he makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, you are thrown, O God. But of the Son, he says, but of the Son, he says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. And a scepter of righteousness, the emblem of your authority. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. 
He is not only a king, he is a righteous king, which means he does it absolutely perfectly all the time. We earlier prayed for people with personal issues in their marriages, with physical issues. This is the king who does righteously. He has, has it down perfectly. You have loved righteousness, speaking of the son, and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, who's he addressing? The son. Your God has anointed you, christened you, with the oil of gladness more than your companions. We prayed earlier for a host of people with a host of problems. What is the ultimate outcome of Jesus' righteous work? Gladness, gladness, gladness. That's the promise to us as well. That is the promise Christmas can be very distracting from the truth, but it can also attract us to the truth if we place our eyes on the right elements. That he, that one laid in the manger is the righteous king who does all things well. And the day is coming, ladies and gentlemen, and we will all stand before him and we will be able to worship him with no restraint, no ifs, ands, or buts of any kind. We will be able to look back on our lives and say, yes, I was that sheep out there. The 90 and 9 were in the fold. I was out there caught in the thorns and my shepherd came out found me, reached in with that shepherd's crook, dragged me out, cleaned me off, threw me on his shoulders, and brought me home on his shoulders rejoicing. That wicked, stupid sheep, you brought it home? Yes. Yes, I did bring it home rejoicing. Rejoicing. Do not disqualify yourself from God's love. Just because you may not love yourself does not mean He can't love you. Don't tell God what He can and can't do. He loves you. He's going to love you. And He loves every single son of Adam. Every daughter of Adam is loved by Him. And He already demonstrated His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, as unlike Him as we could possibly be, He gave His Son for us. Let's give praise to Him. Our Father, we want to thank You for what the Christmas event led to. It was itself that wonderful event when You appeared to our eyes for the first time in human form. You had been already resonant, hidden in Mary, but now we could see you, and now our eyes may be upon you forever. And you are gladly welcoming us because of your 
you've done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves on the cross. We want to thank you for what Christmas led to. Your glorification and our deliverance. All of part and parcel together. One thing. And we give you the thanks. Help us to be focused on that. And again, we hold before you those for whom we prayed earlier. That you will be the righteous God in their life experience and in ours. In your, good, in your name, we pray to you, good King Jesus. And of God's people said, Amen. Amen.